What's up, friends? Mike Myers here with the Songwriting for Guitar podcast, episode number four, Dr. Frank. Now, for me, I had to control myself to not fanboy out because growing up, the Mr. T experience was my favorite punk band. That was the band that set the bar for me when it came to songwriting, what I viewed being in a band like. So getting the chance to sit down and talk with Frank Portman, a.k.a. Dr. Frank, has seriously been so amazing. So I'm just going to jump into it. You're going to hear me kind of geek out just a tiny bit. <laughs> Here we go. Episode number four, Dr. Frank. So this is exciting for me because I can remember being, I think it was maybe sophomore year of high school. My friend Adam and I were constantly sharing CDs back and forth. And he sent me this one CD and he would always include like these notes of like, oh, you got to check out these songs. He sent me this one CD and he was like, I have no notes. You just have to listen to it. And the album was Revenge is Sweet and So Are You. Mm -hmm. And I remember just being so, there was something just awesome about that album. And then just me going back and just suddenly <laughs> listening to all your discography and then just getting album after album. This was back in the day of like, I was filling out little like mail-in <laughs> mail in to look out to get like cds because there was no like there wasn't amazon there was i think you know if we were gonna you know do anything with <laughs> downloading songs it took like an hour to get one song so right. cds were still the thing but how did you this process of being in a band what was the turning point for you when you were like i need to express my my myself through song well you know it was it was a a uh, long, slow learning curve. Uh, it was the beginning of being a, a rock band, you know, punk a rock band playing uh, punk rock derived music, I guess you'd say. Uh, it was just, it went from just fooling around uh, for the first few years and not putting that much thought into it to uh, at some point after a few years, I started, I, to my surprise, realized that this was a thing that uh, was going to be uh, ongoing concern. And although I never thought that I'd be talking about it 30 years later, uh, for sure. But I, at some point, I made a conscious decision to try to do it a little better. And there was no, there was no reason, nothing changed uh, externally uh, to make that happen. There was a, the bar was very low for, uh, for, writing and composition in the little world I was in. Basically, you could do anything and get away with it. And it was a, a lot of laziness on my part, as with most people. It's a rock music. It's very easy to get away with a lot of things. So, uh, and I didn't do it very, and we're talking around the time of, uh, so we had, we started in 1985, first record in 86, and then a couple of records on Rough Trade, 88, 89, a uh, record on, look out when rough trade us collapsed and after that before the the second lp on lookout which is called milk milk lemonade i started to think what would it be like if i put a little more effort into the songwriting and then there started another very slow and painful learning curve that was sort of embarrassingly done in public with things that you can go back to now and look at. And so then the next few years, I was trying to take myself to song school. Um, and uh, gradually, you know, uh, but replacing 
the the bad things with better things or at least more deliberate uh, elements uh, it got better and better and as far as just the sheer composition of melody plus lyrics and and all that that and and all that the structural and uh, conceptual stuff that that entails the record you mentioned is probably the high water mark of that particular version of uh, of songwriting at least as far as you know music and lyrics yeah although the execution the form of that pop punk sound uh did in the aggregate kind of limit what could be noticed about it and i think a lot of you you paid special attention to it people pay te- special attention to it now uh but at the time it was very easy to miss the interesting stuff that was going on and i think most people did miss it um it was a weird thing to do those the that kind of writing is very you know it's very much sort of aimed at a kind of tin pan alley 1930s uh not the not the aesthetic or the sound but the sort of you know e- compositional ethos and doing that in in the yeah. context of a of a you know more or less generic sounding uh ramones derived uh pop punk uh, band was a was a weird thing to do it's one of the things that makes it cool but it also is uh, one of the things that never it was not it was never what uh was particularly expected or or prized by the by audiences at the time although it was in our terms it was quite quite a successful record so starting out you know in those early years with mtx do you feel like that was the songwriting process was like cool we got a song it's a song like it was just like a immediate acceptance of just like cool. What do you got? That's a there, song. yeah. There was no there was no editorial. Sometimes whole songs were rejected for various reasons. Uh, but you know, I just brought no. There wasn't even a way to tell uh, outside of my head on my songs anyway. John John Vaughn had had a, a handful of songs on those early records when he was in the band. But as far as my songs go, outside of my head, no one could tell whether they were good or not. I mean, no one, you couldn't hear. We'd be playing in our little practice space with the mic plugged into an amp and uh, just, hey, I got this new song and I would play it and they would play along and it would be half formed and half written. And by the time it came to record it, it would be in, you know, somewhere along the stage of being kind of finished, but, uh, not, you know, just very slapdash. Some of them accidentally wound up being okay. And if I look back on it now, uh, I see that, you know, the ones that did uh, work a little better than the others in the various ways that you would judge whether things worked or not. I I did learn from them. uh, And so if you take, I mean, the thing that I, one of the things that I would try to do uh, later on and that I try to do now is just almost like a, as a little experiment every time to take a conceit and try to embody it as much as possible in every aspect of the of the you know the the lyrics the music the composition the recording Mm -hmm. everything about it and then just basically take the take the the conceit with its associated metaphors and run it into the ground and you know beat it into the ground and then salt (laughs) the earth and then just like go go completely beyond what is rational and so even going back uh quite a long way that was something that if there's a song from uh, from the from the eighties called Velveeta, which is a song about a girl that takes a the Velveeta cheese and sort of I would say 
kind of ham-handedly uh, tries to to work out all the implications of that comparison. Um, it's not very well uh, executed or well done, although it does have something and people love it. And part of the reason why people love it is it's easy to grasp. Uh, um, and then the elaborations just add the appearance of, of depth or whatever. But I, that's the thing that it turned out I was, you know, if I do say so myself, to become quite good at. And I didn't realize it at the time. And there were a lot of other ones that kind of fell by the, uh, did, didn't, didn't, uh, didn't do much of anything. Uh, but when I started to do things better, it was doing that that made them better. And uh, so, yeah, I, I inadvertently learned from my own kind of stumbling. But isn't that the best learning? I feel like, you know, just like the, the, I guess the, you know, the scripts, the fuck ups where you, where you trip and fall, you end up learning so much from that. Would you, would you say your guitar playing too, you know, how would you describe your early, you know, playing when it comes to writing a song, like hashing out a song with, you know, chords, what was your, I guess your template of trying to understand how to write a song? I mean, it was completely un, uh, uh, completely uh, ingenuous. I was an ingenue. I was the, I was, I was the sweet 16 just coming out, never been kissed. I was like, uh, I didn't know at all what I was doing. I had a guitar. I, you know, I, I knew that the, you know, I knew what a, a one, four, five chords were. And, and I just randomly did it. And like I said, there was a lot of, you throw enough spaghetti at the wall and some strands stick and some strands stuck a little better than the others. And yeah. sort of, I, you know, would mentally, uh, though not deliberately mentally that would that would check off and i listened to uh to music that uh did a lot with with the with the basics of the three chords um and i started to uh get it was you know it, it was it really was just um a habit that as it got more comfortable it was uh, it was a i was a I allowed, I was allowed by circumstances to grow into it a little bit. Um, but I didn't, it was at, at first it was very unschooled and unplanned. Uh, I just, I was the singer songwriter of this thing. I had to come up with some songs to have written for the band to play. And I did the best I could faking it until uh, eventually it gradually by turns got more real but as a guitar player i was you know i should have been way better for all the years that i was playing <laughs> for but you know when we recorded all those records um it was i was just not that i didn't i didn't take it seriously enough basically i just did what what I could manage without putting too much effort into it. And it was enough and it was fine. And people go back to some of those records, particularly that Milk Milk Lemonade album where I did a lot of, you know, guitar hero kind of, um, uh, you know, lead guitar stuff. Yeah. And people go back to it and say this, that they, they are, it made a big impression on them at the time when they were kids and influenced them. And they're, uh, you know, all impressed with it and everything. And at the time it was just, uh, it, I mean, it was a theme of that record and it was the, 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 one of the things that's cohesive about that makes that record cohesive, but it wasn't like, I, I didn't feel like an, a guitar artist 
And uh, now I'm paying more attention to it. And I am a lot better now that, uh, but I'm sure that uh, that's, uh, you know, I'll, as a guitar player, probably that, uh, that Milk Milk Lemonade is probably what I'm, I'm always going to, and everyone said, why don't you do that anymore? But I just did it that one time. That was the point. And uh, I, I listen to it now and I'm equally, uh, I, I equally, equal parts of sort of tentative satisfaction and also kind of embarrassment because it's so over the top. But yeah. do, you, do you find, especially during that period when it was like a four piece, how you played was you, you thought about it different, differently when you came into being a three piece where it's just like, it's just you. And you realize like, you know, the song I'm writing is the song we're going to be playing live. So did that change a little bit? Some of the, some of the concepts of how you played? Well, certainly when you, you know, when you play live, uh, you are less likely to do, or it's less likely to work to do, you know, big traditional guitar, long traditional guitar solos. Cause it just sounds like everything drops out. Uh, but you know, by that time, I was, it was really, it was the recordings that was the real music. And then you were just did trying to approximate it when you played live and you never even hoped to approximate it, uh, uh, to any degree. Uh, and so, no, it wasn't that the, the one, the, the reason why, I mean, sort of, I guess being a quote power trio did was kind of congruent with simplifying the arrangements and it was a necessity when we play live to have simple arrangements but the the germ of that simplification was uh when uh, through the various times when the band fell apart and it seemed like we had done our last thing or we were just about this this is going to be our swan song and it had fallen apart i started to think of my songs as solo songs sort of doing them uh, as folk songs on the line, along the lines of, you know, the, the minimalism of, uh, mm -hmm. which country music, which I all, always really, uh, liked. And with the idea that you have the, you let the, the space that you get from the minimal minimalism be filled by the, by what the, uh, the audience brings to it rather than what's, uh, literally, audibly presented and then it's sort of that was that was a turned out to be a pretty good match with the with a more rudimentary um uh ensemble when we played live but uh it it, it was all it, it still was always uh it was the the way the order of operations was you know strumming alone on my couch uh and then the recorded version when it actually we had a chance to record it which we did the best we could and then trying to pull it off live which was often kind of a struggle now when you went into the studio to record a song and let's say it's like kind of the bare bones and you record it do you feel like ideas came to you in terms of like secondary guitar parts or like as you said sometimes just the nuances that you would hear or your producer would hear do you feel like there were moments where enhance the song those that from what you had already but then suddenly in that studio moment you're like oh this would be great here that that happens that happened less than you would imagine uh although when it happens it's magic i mean we, you know that thing where you accidentally stumble on something you know sonically that that worked i mean not it happened all the time because uh, there was so so many things were 
left up to chance. However, we always had almost, we had very low budgets and no time to do much experimenting in the studio. And so it was all planned out as, uh, as much as we could, as much as I could from the beginning. And there were a lot of things that I wanted to do that were just not feasible. Some of them because it was really grandiose and, and not feasible on the low budget sometimes just because it was a, they were crazy ideas that got vetoed by the producer, uh, in, you know, almost immediately. Uh, but the, uh, you know, there, there have been, it's there a lot there. I'm not saying there weren't any happy accidents, but on the arrangement level, it wasn't like, okay, we've got this thing. Why don't you try fooling around on this for a while and something good might happen. That was quite rare because there wasn't any time for it. Uh, I planned out the milk, milk lemonade stuff. I planned, it's funny because it's so, so much of it is off kilter and awkward. I planned them so carefully, like to the point of, in my own crazy notation, like, you know, I didn't, I didn't do it in on music staffs, but writing it all down. And I didn't have the ability to make demos at that time. So it was basically on, you know, notepads and in my head. And I wish I'd spent that much time on the, the actual composition of the, of the lyrics, cause it would have been way better. But, um, you know, by the time we did the ones, the, the, those middle period, uh, the, the ones that are the most popular, love is dead and um and revenge is sweet uh they the way it worked out was uh we had i had these songs that were composed on an acoustic guitar to be done that way and then we just plugged in the punk just put it fed it into the punk rock machine and it spit out the version of it and i did have these ideas that i would uh want production ideas that I want to happen, but there was almost never any time or, uh, or time to do it or honestly support from producer band and label for me to do it. So <laughs> that's one of the reasons why. And I think this is the, 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 the criticism I have of some of that stuff and of the revenge is sweet album. I don't think really lives up to its potential as the songs are, I can say, you know, without the usual self-deprecation, the songs are kind of uniformly great, but it's, there's a generic uh, feel to them. And a lot of the, uh, what is good about them or what is great about them or the interesting things about them kind of get lost in the, in the monotonous sludge. And it didn't help that this was at the height of the loudness wars. So it was incredibly compressed, which, uh, which sort of, flattened out a lot of the detail there there's a lot of interesting chords for instance and in some of these things interesting passing chords and so forth that uh, are you just can't hear unless you know already know they're there and is there a song in particular you think of when it comes to like some of those passing chords that you're like oh, i wish people could hear some of those changes yeah um uh so I, the first one that comes to mind is who needs happiness i'd rather have you uh there's a lot of interesting kind of chord inversions and and harmonic uh, uh, meta harmonic, uh, elements going on and you can kind of hear them, but not really. And, you know, I, I, the, in, to some degree, that's an irresolvable, um, conflict because, uh, you are trying to do this loud rock song. And then you're also trying to, there's this kind of un, supposedly underlying, an almost jazzy sensibility that you can't have them both. And, yeah. uh, but there, you know, you can, 
mean, this is this is part of the the challenge of of uh, any of any recording, um, and you know, and I fully realize that my criticism of the uh, the production on that record, the things that I that I criticize are largely the reason why people like it. And if, if, if I got my way, it would have been hated and probably forgotten. So, uh, this, that's another, I mean, yeah, I'm not the first person. I'm not the first, uh, auteur, uh, the first, first guy with auteur, uh, songwriting recording artist pretensions to uh, have that feeling. I, I know, but I did, but I, but it, it did happen. It's inevitable that it happens. And particularly when you're just trying to get away with it as, you know, as, as uh, quickly as possible. Uh, Cause that's your only option. Um, you, you make do with what you, what you have and it, you could do worse than having 16 very solid songs, which is what I think that record is. In the time, you know, if I think just in the past 10 years, how music has changed in terms of how you can compose ideas, get them arranged. Let's just go back to like, you know, think of 1986 to now. Do you see like, oh, if some of the technology was available that what we have now, how I may have done things differently? Well, yeah. I mean, I would have, I mean, just when, when I first started to have the ability to make my own demos that weren't just live uh and i really didn't even have the ability to do that before i got, I got my first one was a, I, got, I had a one of those uh four track cassette things and that changed the way i did things uh, i was able to get to communicate what was uh what 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 it was supposed to be like a little better and um that and and it changed how i you know, then, then it was, then there was another thing, you know, like I said, the, the, the recording, however it happened and however it ended up was the main thing that we were trying to approximate. Then it became the demo was the main thing. And the studio recording was trying to approximate that just better. And it didn't always work. Um, and then forget about trying to do it live. It was just, you, you know, do whatever you can, uh, you can, uh, check the box on, but, uh, it would have changed. Yeah. It would have changed things. I don't know that it would have been, necessarily better there there's a there's a definite advantage or not an advantage but a a benefit to the disadvantage of being boxed in and being limited so you have to work within your limitations and uh i think you know at the if i think back to myself as a young man and all my grandiose ideas if i were actually able to do them cheaply and uh and just sort of without limit to the number of tracks and everything uh it could quite easily have been a much more embarrassing abomination and so being being for being forced to to having limits is sometimes good and working creatively working within the limits uh that is you know it's a great great pop music it was recorded on three tracks four tracks yeah. uh, for most of pop music's uh, recording of, of, of when it was you know in what people think of as the classic time of of uh you know of, of american uh pop music and uh part of what's going on is you know you had to really plan ahead and be good and you had to adapt yourself to what was to the to the these parameters and i always find that that's good for me 
uh, and it's and usually it's uh, not an option. But if it had been an option, we would have sort of had you know every song would have been a kind of crappy version of Sgt. Pepper or whatever. You know that would probably wouldn't have been good for the legacy. But I think I, you know a lot of your records are revered as fantastic. You know pop punk records, punk records. That you yeah. know you are on a label that I still think you know. People talk about Epitaph and, you know, oh, Fat Records. Those are great. La- Lookout Records was a fantastic record label as well in terms of the bands that were associated. You know, it was Green Day was on there. Um, you have Operation Ivy. Do you look back now and think like, you know, did it seem like everything was happening at once and you were kind of, you know, as you said, like, you know, the band would take on a different form, some members. But now look back and you're like, wow, that was <laughs> that was my life. Well, you know, I would say uh, not with specifically with regard to Lookout, but with regard to the day-to-day business of being a band uh, at the sort of mid to low level of, of the, quote, alternative show business uh, uh, circuit, we didn't know how good we had it back then <laughs> uh, when you could spend money uh you know, money on recording a record and people still would buy it and you could still, still sustain these things. Uh, it's just, it, it was, it's way better than it was to, than what was, was to come. Um, and as far as lookout, I, I honestly, I did largely take it for granted. Uh, and we were always, you know, all, almost, as much by design as anything else, we were the odd man out in on that label and in that scene. We were uh, just uh, always, you know, we were not. I mean, some you have you you've got a you've got one dynamic in a scene, which is where there's a there's a noticeable community of of artists and audience and 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 you know labels and you know all the everything. That, fanzines and everything that where everybody is trying as hard as they can to uh to uh, plug in properly to what is to the to the project and so that is your uh and that's that's one way to participate in a in a culture and another way to do it is to just be kind of cantankerous and reject all of the uh expectations and conventions and try to irritate people as much as please them. And that was definitely what we were doing. I mean, it's kind of cool that when you look at your, I think it's your second album, Night Shift at the Thrill Factory, you know, you guys are badass in your leather, but then it's kind of cool to see like, you've got a song, History of the Concept of the Soul, which is just like, is it basically your thesis that you took? And then just kind of like... It was a paper I wrote that, you know, when I was in, I was a history major it was my, I took a class on uh, Greek and Roman religion and wrote a paper on uh, the, the history of the concept of the soul. And then I thought it would be funny to make a little song about it. Uh, probably the song was a bit better than the paper. It was a bit more concise. And, but the sole reason for its existence was uh, I wanted to put footnotes in a in a punk rock song and i thought wouldn't that be funny if i did that that's an example this is you know that you when you have 
a strong enough conceit that it carries everything along with it. And that is the most memorable song on that album of that, of that early period, maybe just because it has such a strong conceit, even if you might say it's, it's, uh, it's quite silly, but that doesn't matter. It's a, it, there's a reason to know what it is and that in a, in a sea of content, which we've never had a bigger sea of content as now, uh, just distinguishing any, any piece distinguishing itself to that degree is a very, is very hard to come by. I, I, and for me, I remember growing up not being like an angsty punk. Like, you know, I was in suburban and I was just like, yeah. And so when I hear something like your band, it was like, this is what I need. Like, it was relatable. Like, you know, I remember seeing you guys way back in the day. Um, I think it was Club Laga in Pittsburgh. Mm. And it was an awesome show. And you just started, hey, this song's about a girl. It was like, wow. It was just like, okay, cool. This is what I can get. Like when I saw sometimes punk bands railing up against the government, I was like, eh, it's okay. Like, yeah. you know, it was. <laughs> that it was my same. That was my nice, my same experience. I never the you know I the 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 when I was you know few years earlier when I was, uh, you know engaged in the punk rock scene all the all the, so, all the Reagan songs all the, you know, uh, uh, Sandinista songs or whatever they 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 just didn't speak to me. I was way more uh, I was way more kind of spiritually in tune with the modern lovers than the clash, even though I love the clash, the clash. Uh, I, I, I don't, I, it had to, it had to be, uh, it had to have some relation to my, uh, to my own world and sensibilities. And, you know, I think I, I thought at the time and I still think that a lot of those people who were doing that, you know, uh, communist revolutionary sort of content were largely faking it. Many of them were just like me, you know, suburban kids. Uh, I just liked love songs. And then, and then the fact that we were, I, I love songs meant more to me than, uh, kind of, I don't know what you call that, uh, uh, hippie politics content that, that was somehow the, the maximum rock and roll aesthetic, uh, even though sometimes it wound up sort of uh almost almost accidentally throwing up some good stuff and it can be kind of amusing and interesting i always uh, that didn't you know that i was i was much more of a traditionalist as far as what i liked and then that became a uh a, a point of rebel of rebellion itself because uh when we were starting out and we weren't very uh skilled at doing the thing we were trying to do which was basically you know, what we got better at, but, you know, sort of doing, uh, is what punk rock was when I first encountered it as a, as a teenager in the seventies was, you know, basically pop songs, uh, done by punk rock bands. And then the, somehow in, in the eighties, the pop songs got left behind and the, 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 the actually the songs largely got left behind and it was all aggression and all what I would have what I think of as largely posturing. So we, you know, would stroll into that scene and uh, it would just irritate people to no end that we, you know, uh, you know, people were doing Reagan songs all the way up, you know, 
way past Reagan's uh, tenure. And it's like, why don't these guys have Reagan songs? Why don't they have the El Salvador song? And I used to also, you know, uh, play with that. And this, this is a song about a girl uh, line <laughs> yeah. originated that way because it would just drive them sort of uh, out of their minds with anger. But that definitely had to have influenced tons of other bands or people that felt like, I kind of feel the same way. Like, you know, when you see punk, it's like, but you know, me and my friends are just going to go back home and watch Monty Python. We're not going to let, you know, we're not going to a rally. We're just going to like watch, you know, something that's quirky. That definitely had to set up for other bands to feel like, hey, there you can do this. Well, like, yeah, there's I an think, outlet. Yeah, I think so. I, uh, that was part of the, part of the, uh, you know, the, what made that, Gilman centered scene a, uh, quite a bit more interesting was that there was more room uh, to be less generic and there was more you were you were uh, being uh, being a weirdo was rewarded rather than penalized to a to some degree and uh, I think uh, and I think that it did uh, you know that the, there's a there's a limit to how much you get out of you know going around, uh, sort of LARPing as a as a tough guy juvenile delinquent um, uh, uh, or, you know, Che Guevara, the Che Guevara version of Fonzie. Um, the, and, you know, there's a, there's a whole, there's a bigger world out there. And once you have the opportunity to let go of some of those trappings, some really cool things could result. Uh, I don't want to, you know, uh, there are people who will, who I've heard say that, uh, you know, attribute to my band a much more uh, prominent role in, you know, blazing a trail for this stuff. And I would not say that's the case. I would just say we were doing the, the unusual thing that happened to involve, uh, uh, you know, the material like we're talking about. And we just did it, uh, Un and gradually more people started doing that. Uh, I don't think, it, I don't think I want to claim credit for it, but it, it was the, the, you know, it was the case that there was a band doing that in 1985 when I didn't know any other others in the, I mean, Australia had some pretty good bands at that time, but uh, you know, then after a time there were more and there were places to play for little quirky bands like that when there had previously not been. And so, uh, you know, we were, I, I would say, I wouldn't say like trailblazer or like pioneer as more like canary in a coal mine. And we just narrowly avoided <laughs> being snuffed out. You know, with, with all of that now, how is your, your process of writing songs this like, you know, now compared to yeah, 30 it, years? Yeah. It, it, it's, there, there are some ways where it's completely, the same. And in fact, maybe uh, even a little more like, uh, uh, like the, the early times, as far as the, the mechanical part, I don't tend to do big elaborate demos these days. Uh, I just, um, you know, it's mostly, I focus on the composition, but it's mostly like the, 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 the ones that work, it's a strong conceit that I, try to gradually develop into and the ideal is where you don't have even you have very few and 
hopefully is a, the ultimate ideal that you don't that you never really get is that every single element uh, works and to to enforce the plan and the conceit and what's getting in the and the the movement of the song and that that means you've got you know two and a half three minutes to do this so all of these things have to do several things at once and uh that's the sort of thing where if you start thinking about how how much has to go on to make it to make a thing like that work you could get paralyzed with uh with the um how the you can get overwhelmed and that has happened to me before but the thing that grounds it in reality is the process where you are developing all these things gradually and you know it take and it takes you have to you have to strum through it as it's developing <laughs> thousands of times years and years of strumming before it takes shape and if you try to do it you try to do it as a shortcut it is almost never as good um the, if you try to, to like the the plan is almost you 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 have the notion of it but it's sort of out there in the ether and you have to gradually pull it in and if you try to do it deliberately you often uh, you often don't don't do it very well and that's the other the big difference also is that I never uh, I never release something that isn't actually finished so which is the case you know a lot of times i had a you know we're, you're on a you're on a strict schedule when you're a little unsuccessful band and uh you know the time comes to record the record you record it whether or not your songs are done and just hope for the best so i don't do that now and the songs are better now because of that if, if nothing else that what to you right now feels like when it's finished when you can just be like this is good yeah i mean it's never it's always, it's like, you know, it's like <laughs> leaves of grass. You know, he wrote, he, he rewrote that up till his dying day. Um, and you know, that there's, there's an element uh, of that where, you know, it can always get that, you know, you get to the point where you're deciding, you know, on the level of, do I use the word of or at in this context or whatever? And you, you, you refine and you, uh, but Basically, when I think if you if you if if it if all of the elements are actually doing their job and, you know, the and enough so that they don't have to be fixed, there's no problem that has to be fixed. That's when it feels finished. And many songs that are quite good never get theirs. So I'm not saying it, that that always has to be the case, but that's the thing uh, to uh, to. Uh, sort of in the that's the the, the 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 pattern that you're on some level striving for and uh but you know then the other thing you have to learn is there's sometimes when you got to let it breathe and and leave it alone in certain aspects and that's yeah. the thing that's always been hardest for me i have that's the thing i have to put effort into uh because um i'm just a very i i have a uh, hyper uh, concerned uh, attitude towards these things. And, you know, you can overdo it. You can, uh, and I've overwritten uh, songs that are not bad uh, for, by virtue of being overwritten, but could have been better if I had figured out the right time to back off. And that's another, that's a, that's a mark of 
maybe maturity that I'm still sort of uh, struggling with. And it's funny because I'm talking about these, the, my current, uh, you know, uh, stable of songs, which, you know, most people have not heard. It's quite possible that they will never be heard, uh, depending really? on. Really? Never? Do you- well, I don't, I mean, it, yeah, who knows what's going to happen, but for, yeah. for, uh, for this stuff I have now to, uh, be recorded properly and released properly. That's a tall order in this day and age where nobody <laughs> buys music and nobody cares when you put out music. And when you do it, it's like it, it exists for all, to all intents and purposes for, you know, a uh, 18 hour period. And then it gets subsumed in the, in the vast sea of content. So, you know, I don't know. I do hope to, uh, to record more things, but I, want to do it properly and i don't know it that's a like i said that's a tall order in this day and age uh there's a difference between releasing a record and just you know pressing upload and um and i so uh that's why i'm you know rather conservative on this but what i'm saying is i'm talking like i'm i'm referring to these uh what I consider to be quite successful compositions uh, with nothing to back it up. Cause uh, I, I, I play them live sometimes when I play, uh, when I do shows, although I don't do shows now. Um, but uh, you know, so people have heard some of these, but you know, it's, I, I, like I said, it's a, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a check. My ass can't catch cash um, uh, in uh, at least as far as uh, I don't, I can't present evidence to the jury. <laughs> however, however, it I still believe that what I've said is is true. That my well, songs I'm writing now are better. I I hope that we get to hear these soon. And I appreciate you sharing your thoughts all about your process. This has been so awesome for me. So Frank Portman, Dr. Frank, I still have the a junior mints box that you signed at a concert <laughs> in 2001. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and talking about songwriting and guitar. Yeah, that was a that was a good that was a good interview. Uh, those were those were questions that I uh, don't often get asked. That was amazing. I wish I could go back in time to my young self watching the Mr. T Experience play and be like, hey, just so you know, in the future, there's going to be a thing called podcasting and you're going to do one and then you're going to talk to Frank and you guys are going to just geek out about songwriting in the process and you're going to learn about all these other things about the band that you didn't know and his insights to guitar. So that was amazing. And hopefully, Frank, we have him back because there's so much more I want to talk to him about. If you feel like you've been hitting a wall with your guitar playing, it's just the same thing over and over. Same chords, same strumming patterns, and you're looking for like the reset button? Just head on over to songrankforguitar.com and sign up for the Songrank for Guitar Insiders group. Every month I give you a new skill building module, we meet together monthly as a group on Zoom, and I help you get unstuck. What songs are you working on? The process. All of that we talk about and more, so just head on over to songrankforguitar.com and join the Songrank for Guitar Insiders group. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please head on over to iTunes and give us a stellar review. This episode was edited and produced by the amazing Chris Fafalius. I'm Mike Myers. Until next time.